Have mercy. You hate to stop that, don't you? Amen. Aren't you thankful that the blood will never lose its power? Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Would you make your way there, book of Malachi? Any of you glad to be here this morning? <clears throat> now, we had to do something a little different in the first worship time. We might do that here in just a minute together. First of all, a couple of housekeeping things. If you're our guest today, I want to encourage you to look on the chair in front of you, one of those backs on one of those chairs. There should be one of these QR codes. Would you use that? Use your phone. Technology is such a wonderful thing uh, sometimes. And if you will, scan that, and, and if you will, allow us to have some information how we can minister to you, how we can pray for you, all right? That's what we'd like to do. We're not just here and hope you come, but we want to be able to minister to you. So if you take a minute, if you're a guest of ours, and do that just now, okay? And also a warm welcome to your home folk, guests, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. Next thing I want to ask you to do from your chair, I want to ask you to be a missionary, okay? Now, some of you are like, I'm not going to Africa today. Um, did you know you, you could? You may. You don't know that. What I mean is... We've learned in this COVID, in the COVID past, well, I'm called the COVID past, that'd be all right? This is yes. All right. <clears throat> We've learned that we can be missionaries from our chairs. And so if you'll get on your phone, cut the ringer off for me so we don't get interrupted that way, cut the volume down, do that in that order, and then if you'll get on social media and pray a prayer something like this, Lord Jesus, would you put this message in front of who needs to hear it? And then hit the share button and trust God to put it in front of your friends, 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 and we'll just be sitting here enjoying the message together, and God will be doing his thing uh, even online. So thank you for doing that each week. God is really using you in a mighty way right here in your chair, okay? Malachi chapter number one. We're going to start there, and we're going to cover the whole book. Aren't you glad? You said you knew that because you were waiting out in the lobby, and the preacher wouldn't hurry up so y'all could get in. I want to say to you this. Thank you for being a people who keep coming back, even though sometimes you have to wait a little bit to get in. Uh, thank you that, this is what we learn about God. He's not necessarily God of convenience. Oh, let me run that by you again. He's not necessarily God of convenience. Now, Western way of thinking, everything's got to be comfortable and easy, but God has not called us to a relationship of convenience. So thank you for being patient and coming back each week and inviting people to come with you. Uh, next Sunday night, we're going to be talking about our expansion plans. We're going to be sharing that with you to be praying about I can't wait for you to hear kind of what God has got laid out for us, and I'm excited about what he's doing here, okay? Malachi. Now, the title of our message this morning is Diagnosing the Problem and Finding a Solution. <clears throat> Don't you like finding a solution to problems? Anybody besides me? Uh, I really like when I can find the problem and then find a solution, or, or I like to be connected to somebody who can find a solution? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've learned that I really don't have very many solutions, but I've learned that God has people that are gifted in all kinds of ways that have all kinds of solutions. In other words, if it's a, a problem with your vehicle, uh, I need somebody else. If it's a problem with the body, I need somebody else, right? Now, if it's a spiritual situation, I can, I can, God's gifted me in that area, but we have all kinds of situations and struggles, and so there's all kinds of solutions. And so today, we're going to look at God's Word through Malachi, an Old Testament prophet. Now, what was a prophet in the Old Testament? He was God's mouthpiece, okay? In other words, God would speak to the person. He would speak on behalf of God to the people, and oftentimes it'd go the other way as well. He would speak to God on behalf of the people as well. So he's got God's message, and he's delivering it to God's people, and so today we're going to look at the last book of the Old Testament. Now, here's what we've learned. We've learned that when Malachi's book closes, when his prophetic ministry closes, there are around 400 years that pass. 
from the last word from God through a prophet until the coming of John the Baptist and then Jesus, all right? So there's 400 years of silence. So this is the last thing God said to his people through a prophet. Very interesting, isn't it? Here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that diagnosing the problem sometimes is painful. Anybody out there still? You know, when you tell them, Doc, it's sore right here, what does a doctor, what does he or she tend to do? They want to poke it for some reason, like they don't believe you, right? And they go to poke it, and you go, ow, I told you it hurt, you know? And they're diagnosing. They're listening to the symptoms. They're not trying to treat the symptoms. Hear me out. They're trying to treat the problem. Too oftentimes, we are content to treat the symptoms, and the problem goes undealt with. Anybody out there? What do you mean? If there's a problem, we want to just, if my nose is running, give me something to dry up my nose. Uh, if, if, if I got a headache, give me something to heal the headache. But we need to find out what the problem is, okay? Have you ever been misdiagnosed? That can be a, that can be a bad thing, can it? If you're misdiagnosed, then you don't know what the problem is. You may have the wrong solution. In other words, they tell you you have pneumonia, but instead you have something different. They give you medication for pneumonia, and you are what I call delaying the healing. Now, if you're like me, I don't like anything delayed. Huh? I figure some of y'all here know me by now. <clears throat> I don't like preludes. I, huh? I don't like build-ups. I want to, let's do it, man. I mean, let's just go ahead and do it. And so I don't want to waste any time on the healing. If I'm sick, let's do it, man. Give me some medicine, do the syrup, whatever we got to do. I want to start getting, anybody else like that in the room? Raise your hand. All right, a few of my people in here. A lot of y'all must be a little more patient than I am. Um, but as we find that out, Jesus said about the church, it's a hospital for the sick. And so if we would have a proper diagnosis today, we could speed up the heal. Oh, y'all are getting it, the healing. And so let's do that together. Can we do that together this morning? Let me say to you, if you're our guest, that we're going to, in, we're going to engage together, all right? This won't be me preaching down to you because I get bored real easy if y'all just stare at me, all right? So we're going to engage in it together. Here's another reason why. I'm just like you. I'm a human being just like you. I need the message as much as you need the message, okay? So this isn't my word to you. It's God's word to us. Now, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet in honor of reading God's Word. And uh, this is what I was talking about we did in early service that I think we need to do now because some of y'all look angry at me already. And I know spring break's over. Hallelujah. Uh, all the little Brent girls come by, and I said, aren't y'all glad school's starting? And they just looked at me. And Lori come behind them and said, I am. Mama said, I am glad school's starting. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We used to do something in here called a smile wave. Do y'all remember that? Some of y'all do. Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? You know the wave, like when you stand up, wave your hands, and we kind of go in a, in a waving motion. We're going to do a smile wave. I'm going to encourage you, when I look your way, if you would just flash your best smile at me. Can we do that? Some of y'all are like, I'm not participating. <laughs> and you, that's fine. You just stay unhappy, all right? No. Listen, I understand about life. Sometimes we don't feel like smiling, right? That's just the truth of the matter. But what I'm here to encourage you with is this. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead... We always have reason to smile, even through tears. So here we go. You ready? I'm going to start in this neighborhood. I'm going to work my way around. When I look your direction, smile your best smile, okay? It's going to feel so good. You're going to be, um, it's going to blow your mind. You ready? Here we go. Y'all ready? Here we, here we go. Boom, 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 boom. In the back back there, yes? All the way in the back, yes? Somebody's like, I'm not doing it. Look away from me. All right, how about in the middle? Anybody in the middle? Can y'all smile at me? You've got some good-looking smiles. Why is it the older we get, the more we forget how to smile, huh? Y'all smiling over here? Yes, 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 yes. Brian's got, well, good, he's always got. What about this side over here? West back there in the corner, start us off. There you go. All the way around to the camera and Shane and everybody. All right, good. Doesn't that feel good? All right, let's, let's just, every once in a while, flash a smile at me. That'll be okay, all right? And so here we go. Malachi 1. 
Now, we're not going to spend much time in Malachi 1 because he's going to diagnose the problem right away. And then we're going to fast forward to chapter 3 and read about verse 5 to verse 12. Okay, so now you're prepared. You know where we're going. Let's read this Old Testament prophet speaking to the people of God about their condition. Okay, here we go, beginning in verse number 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, now I want you to notice that. Circle it in your Bible, underline it, highlight it. He's not a father, he's, if I am the father, where is my honor? <clears throat> and if I am master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? I'm going to read verse 7. You offer defiled food on my altar, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? You're saying this, the table of the Lord is contemptible by the offerings that you're giving. Fast forward, if you will, to chapter number 3 and verse number 5. Now, some of you are like, I can't, i got to read it all, and you're trying to speed read right now. Don't do that. Some of you all, don't read, don't do that. I'm going to cover it. You go back and read it later and check me, all right? Let's read verse number 5 and on down. And I will come near, and I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against perjurers and against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord. I do not, help me, change. I do not change. Therefore, because of that truth, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to even receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Will you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful truth recorded in your word from Genesis to Revelation and every verse in between. And Father, I pray today that you would help me with all my inadequacy. God, you know, uh, I'm less than ordinary and, uh, and below average. But Lord, you continue to use me. And that's a display not of me or my power or strength, but of your power. So today, remind everybody in the room and within the sound of my voice that God, you'll dis- you can use anybody, anywhere, at any time. Don't let a young person, a middle-aged person, anybody think that they can't be used by you because I'm living proof. So, Father, as you use me today to preach your word, would you also preach to me? Preach to my heart and the hearts of every one of these. Tune our ears to hear your still, small voice. And, God, I ask you this every week, and you do it every single time. May it be as if it's only us and you in the room, and you're speaking to us individually. And we ask it in the name above all names, the name of Jesus the Christ, of the people of God, said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. By the way, what a great-looking crowd. Amen. Uh, last Sunday of spring break, and you guys come on out here and gathered in the house of God, and I pray he would not, I would not rather waste your time, okay? Let's go back to the beginning. Let me give you the title again, Diagnosing the Problem and Finding the Solution. Diagnosing the problem without finding a solution is very frustrating. 
If all you can tell me is what's wrong, but you can't help me to see how to get it right, I'm, I'm very, it, it produces a tension, a frustration within the heart of mankind. Now, mis, we said misdiagnosing the problem can cause us to suffer all kind of ailments, and we miss time on the healing that comes when there's a proper diagnosis. So today, would you lay your life bare before the Lord? Let me run that by you again. Today, would you bear your life before the Lord, right before Him in honesty and humility to say, Lord, would you look at my life and diagnose the problem and show me the solution? Wouldn't that be good today? See, you didn't come today to be entertained. If you did, you came to the wrong place. I can't sing or dance or anything. And so today, I pray that God would speak to you intimately and personally. First thing I want you to do is write down the main idea of this passage. Would you do that? The main idea of Malachi chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 is this. God's people can return to Him. God's people can return to Him. Now, aren't you thankful for that great truth? How many of you in the room have had to return to God before? Raise your hand. If you've been far and you've come back and you've been far. How many of you in the room have, done, have had to return to the Lord two ta- at least two times in your life? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you at least ten times you've had to return to the Lord? Look at us. Boy, aren't we repeat offenders? All of us, repeat offenders, returning to the Lord. We're going to come back to that, all right? So the main idea, God's people can return to Him, all right? Now, I'm going to point out, you ready for this? Eight things from the passage. You better get your writing hand ready. Now, they're going to be short, right to the point phrases. Jot them down if you can. If you can't, let somebody in your group that writes faster, you get their notes later, all right? I'm joking with you. Here we go. Number one, the problem. Two words, the problem. We find the problem, the diagnosis of the problem. We hear what the problem is in the very first chapter of Malachi. The rest of Malachi, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, God addresses and explains to the people what are the symptoms of the problem. In other words, if I told you you had this illness... Uh, In order to help you believe it, I would have to point to some blood tests or some other symptoms that proved you had the problem. Does that make sense to you? Give me a head nod, all right? So that is, in fact, what God does through Malachi. He says, here's the problem in chapter 1, and the rest of the book, he goes on telling them, here's the symptoms that prove what I said about you is right. So what did he say about them? Chapter 1, verse 6, as a son honors his father. Now, by the way, I am so glad today that God deals with me and you as with children, And what I mean is, he invites, I don't know why he does it, he's just an amazing God, that he would say to a simple creation like me and you, come, let's reason together. Come on, let's me and you have a talk. Let's me and you share together. So he's brought you in the room today and sat you down and said, now, come on, let's me and you reason and have a talk together. And so as he's talking, just like he did to us today, like he did to to the people of God through Malachi, Malachi says to them, hey, let's just think through some things together. By the way, God doesn't want you to check your brain at the door and come into your faith, all right? They go hand in hand. So he says, let's talk about some things. First of all, isn't this logical? On the average, doesn't a son honor his dad? If you agree with God's assessment there, would you nod your head? Now, maybe you're here today and your dad was not a good dude. Maybe your dad was absent in your life. Maybe your dad was harmful or abusive in your life. And so it's hard for you to connect the dots, It's hard for you when you hear a son honors his dad, but that is, in fact, the way it is supposed to be uh, when a man lives God's call in his home as a spiritual leader, uh, he should then be honored by his children. And that that is the majority of the time when that happens, the man is honored. I shared with you not too long ago about how Riley and I used to ride the bulldozers and ride the equipment at the house, and one day he looks up at me with those big blue eyes and says, Daddy, uh, when I get older, I'm going to be like you and make roads. He was, 
He was honoring me, you see. Uh, now, in your notes there, write this down. Uh, to honor means to assign value to, okay? To, 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 to assign value or weight. Uh, in other words, let me give you an illustration while you're writing. If the doctor says to you, Dylan, uh, you've got a cold, that's one thing. But if the doctor says, Dylan, you've got leukemia in such a way that you probably are only going to be able to live just a little while, that's something altogether different. You're going to assign more value, more weight to one than the other. Is anybody tracking with me? Give me a head nod. And so what he's saying is, is a son uh, assigns value and weight to his daddy. It's why Riley said what he said to me. It's why, it's why kids on the playground say, my daddy can beat up your daddy. You ever heard that? You may have said that before. You've heard other kids say it. Why? Because the son honors his daddy. And so he says that the son assigns weight and value to his dad, right? But then he goes on and uses another illustration, just like a servant assigns weight to his master. He's got to assign weight. In other words, they can't both be equal, but they can't both be servants. There's got to be somebody that's leading, right? There's got to be a business owner. There's got to be a boss. There's got to be a head. There's got to be a leader, and he says, just like the servant honors, assigns weight to, he has to, right, in order to follow the lead of the master. He has to assign weight to the master. That same way, uh, God says, now that we're logically thinking, here's my question. So now we're flowing with logic. And he says, if then I am the father. Uh, he didn't say, you know, we've already established a precedent that sons honor their fathers in a large group of sea of humanity. But seeing as that I am the Father, and by the way, it's wonderful that God has chosen to reveal himself and deal with me and you as a father does his children. He could have done it anyway, but he chose that role. And, and so he says, if I am not a father, but the Father, perfect Father, who's always right and good and kind and gracious and merciful and just, because I am the Father, where is my honor? So, uh, number one, we're determining that. Uh, there is a missing value that has not been placed on God. We might say it this way. The people are not honoring God with their lives. Now, here's my question for you this morning. Uh, logically, would you say that a son honors his father? Hit, nod your head yes or no. Okay, yeah. Some of y'all just staring at me. This is yes. This means no. Okay. Would you also agree that a, generally a servant honors his master in order to function well? Yeah, one has to have the lead role. Uh, then based on that, uh, would you agree that God is the Father? How many of you agree with that statement? He's the Father, okay? Now, we're just logically thinking here and working through. Then based on that, my question for you is where is God's honor in your life? Now, I'm not asking you is it present or not. I'm not saying to you that it's not there. What I'm asking you is what value have you assigned to God in your life? What priority is he on the list? What sort of reverence do you give his name and his ways and his specifics and the way in which God intends for you to live for him, by him, and through him? So today we think about this problem, and the problem is that they were not honoring God. And now he's going to go and show them the symptoms. Some of us came in today, and if you asked us, we'd say almost arrogantly, where's God's value and honor? Oh, he's number one. I mean, I teach Sunday school I preach, I preach, uh, I lead the praise time, oh man, I'm, I'm a deacon, oh, you know, I'm, I never miss church, I, I get, I'm here all the time, and so we'd have all of these wonderful things that would say, this proves that I am certainly assigning to God in my mind and heart the proper value. So with that thought in mind, let's just take the test together. Can we do that? You know we're going to. So come along with me. And I said we, not you, us, all right? So number one, the problem. What was it? They were not honoring God. 
They were not assigning to him the proper value. Now, I know about me. There have been times in my life I don't assign the proper value to God. Can anybody else start off right off the bat and say, we don't need to take the test, preacher. I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm not assigning to God the proper value that I should be in my life. All right, number two. Let's make a statement. Now, we're going to turn over to chapter three. Some of y'all are fretting about that. What happens next, he tells them that their offerings of, of, of broken lambs, crippled lambs, uh, has proven that they're not close to him. They're not honoring him. He's mentioned some other symptoms that, that are happening between the priests and the government and that their lives are saying they've not honored God. They're not giving him the proper value, all right? So in chapter 3, verse number 5, number 2 in your notes, I want you to write this down, the judgment to come. <clears throat> this is our favorite subject, judgment, right? And I, wish I, could, I wish I had a nickel, and nickels don't go very far these days. For every time I heard somebody say, especially the young people say, don't judge me, right? Not understanding that the Word of God says to the people of God, Paul said to the Corinthian church, judge those inside the house and let God judge those outside the house. And when you say don't judge me, it means that you've not really studied in depth the New Testament of the Scriptures. So as we do judge, not for condemnation, but for edification, building up, not tearing down. We oftentimes say, don't judge me, which is translation. Are you ready? Now, let's just be honest with each other. When we stand on our soapbox and say, don't judge me, here's what we really mean. Let me sin in peace. Let me do whatever I want to do and don't fool with me. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So, the judgment to come, chapter 3, verse number 5. Here's what God says. He says in verse 3, and, I mean, excuse me, in chapter 3, verse 5, I love how he starts it off because he says, and this is a great truth, I will come near uh, the word in the scripture for this that's used oftentimes is the word visitation. I will visit you. I will come near. Now, the, if we didn't know the rest of the verse, we'd say, hallelujah. God's coming to visit, right? He's coming to see us. He's coming to hang out. He's coming to be part. He's coming to be with us. Except that he says he's come near not just to hang out and have a good meal. Y'all reading along with me? He says, I will come near. Help me, somebody. For judgment. And can't you just see the arrogance of man that would say to God, don't judge me, to the high king of heaven, to the one who's perfect and just and right and righteous. And so he says, I will come near for judgment. I will be, listen to what he says, I will be a swift witness. You know what a swift witness is? They're not contradicted. There's no rebuttal. The witness is so true and faithful and right that no one can disagree with or change the story or say maybe you, what you're testifying about, you got it wrong because he's God and he gets nothing wrong. I'll be a swift witness. Nobody's going to talk back. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says, according to the law, if we try to face God based on goodness and his law, nobody will be right. Everybody will be guilty. And then here's what he says. Every mouth will be stopped. Why? Because there's a swift witness. And he says, there's a judgment day coming, and I'll be a swift witness. And he did tell us about some of the people who are on that list that will be judged. I'll be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Because, now here's that group of people. They're going to be judged because they do not fear him. They don't know him. They're not in relationship with him, says the Lord of hosts. So he says that there's a judgment day coming. And might I say to you today that there is, in fact, still to come this promised day of judgment. Now, today, if that's all I could tell you, I would have stayed home. I would have been right now on my back porch probably with a little fire going, sipping on coffee, and just enjoying the coolness of the day because I'd have no good news to tell you except that one day we're all going to be judged and we're all going to be guilty and we're going to spend eternity separated from God in a lake of fire. Wow, that's pretty hopeless. 
But the good news is that in the midst of his judgment, because God is holy and righteous and gracious and kind, he's provided for us the way in which we might escape judgment and be pardoned of our sin. Do you know the way has a name? If you know it, say with me. His name? Jesus. And you mean it's not being good enough? You mean it's not coming to church enough? You mean it's not knowing enough? No, no, no. It's simply the person, the work and the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Death on the cross, his resurrection, and receiving Jesus as Lord. That means there is hope for salvation and rightness with God for every man, woman, boy, and girl born under the sun. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Number three. Look how quick y'all are listening. You didn't know you are listening that fast. We're already on number three. Number three, in your notes, write this, verse number six. First we said the problem. What was it? They weren't honoring God. They were not assigning to God the proper value that he is worth. All right? Number two, we talked about for just a second the judgment to come. There's a judgment coming. Number three, I want you to write this down. God is the only constant. By the way, what good news in the midst of our unfaithfulness, God is always perfectly faithful. So let's look at that verse together. Will you look in verse number six? So he just talked about the fact that he's going to be judging. He's going to bring punishment. He's going to bring uh, a circum- um, cause and effect. They've, caused, they've done this, and they're going to now be punished. And he says in verse six, but I am the Lord, and I, I want you to read it with me, do not change. So he says, I'm the Lord, I do not change, and because of that, you are not consumed. Now, understand the context of this. Would you agree? I want to make this point first. Would you agree with me that life is full of changes? Uh, when I came outside this morning, I've been hearing it's going to be cooler. I mean, I've been hearing, but you know how you do one in and out the other ear? I mean, good night, it's been 85 and 86 degrees, you know, in the last little while. And also, you come outside this morning, and it's 31 degrees. You kidding me? I had to go back inside to get my jacket. I hear in the morning it's going to be 25, between 25 and 28, depending on what, 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 what weather you listen to. Now, think about that for a minute. That's not a cold snap. Right? Cold snaps in the 40s. 25 is the Arctic dead of winter in Mississippi. So we, we, would you agree with me that things change? The weather changes. People change. Do you know that people change? And by the way, thank God they do. Thank God we do. But also, circumstances change. One day, things can be going really, really easy. The next day, they can be very, very difficult. Matter of fact, the next moment, they can be very, very difficult. Life is constantly changing. How many of you know your bodies are changing? Huh? And I'm telling you, those in the room that are above, you know, 25, just hang on. Or below 25, just hang on. It changes, right? And it's always interesting to me that the older you get, you think that only at that age do they change. But that's not true. Incrementally, they change. After about the age of 30, they change a little bit. At 35, you can't do what you did at 25. 40, you can't do what you did. And then so on and so on and so on. So our bodies are changing, our lives are changing, everything around us changes, but here's what we can rest assured today from the word from Malachi to our hearts today, God does not change. You can trust him. You can bank on him. You can believe him. You can put into practice what he encourages you to do, and you can guarantee in your heart and mind that what he says will come to pass. Let me just cause you to think for a minute about this wonderful song we sang a moment ago. We said, he's been faithful through generations. Why would he fail now? And then in the song, we answered the question with a two-word phrase, he won't. You know why he won't? Listen to me. You might write this out to the side of that. He can't. The reason he won't is because he can't. Why? He'll never change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what is he saying to his people back in Malachi that he's not going to talk about judgment And then he's telling them, but I don't change, so you're not going to be consumed. 
Because in judgment, their only hope for righteousness is not their performance. It's still their faith and hope in God. Now, that's Old Testament looking forward to Jesus. But you and I, New Testament, looking backward to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the same application is true today. You and I are not consumed in the day of judgment, not based on how well we can perform, but based on the fact that Jesus Christ performed perfectly when he came down, became a man, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died a criminal's death, rose from the dead, victorious over the grave, and says now, whosoever will call upon me, he said that, shall be saved. And that's why we're not consumed. And that's why life can change and things can change, situations can change, but God will never change it. So what we can trust is that his covenant will never be broken. He's not a covenant breaker. Aren't you thankful? And so I'm, I'm just so encouraged that days when I fail, and there are days when I fail. Can anybody amen right there? Days that I fail, my hope, my salvation, my innocence, my pardon is not based upon how well I did that day. Did you know that there are people around the world today in different cultures and denominations and things that will tell you if you sin and die without repenting that you will spend eternity separated from God? And I want to say to you today what a gross misunderstanding of the Word of God. Here's why. If that would be true, and we're just going to have a logical conversation, that okay? Good, here we go. The word for sin in the New Testament is the word, you should know it by now, hamartia. And it means, it's an archer's term, it means to... You got to look at you. I'm going to be teaching this thing for long. To miss the mark. What is the mark? God's holy perfection. So here's my question for you. Ready? Logical pop quiz. Here we go. We're just flowing through. If, in fact, hamartia is the word for sin in the New Testament, means miss the mark of God's perfection. My question for you is how many of your thoughts today miss the perfection of God? I'll tell you. You ready? All of them. How many of your words today miss the perfection of God's words? I'll tell you. You ready? All of them. How many of your deeds today miss just a little bit? The mark of God's holy perfection, I'll tell you, you ready? Every single one of them. And that ought to make you love Jesus even more. Because it's his death and his resurrection that causes us to be able to be right with God. Now, let's say, okay, preacher, that means then you, you Baptists believe then that we, you know, we can get saved and just do whatever we want to do. Go out and sin and sin and sin. No, no, listen, what we say is if you've been born again, there's been no change. You've not repented or not born again. You can say one thing with your mouth, but there's no evidence of it. It's not true. There are symptoms. Symptoms can be negative or positive. If I've been born again, it's not a problem, but there will be symptoms because my life will be different. Now then, there's a word in the New Testament for the, that call, it talks about a believer who has, in fact, fallen into sin. It's the word backslider. Have you ever heard that word before? You ever heard the term backsliding? It means a person has, you see the picture that is going forward, has, in fact, slid what? backwards. And so, by the way, can you relate to that? Take two steps forward sometimes and three steps back. But the believer is not going to stay there. It will not be his or her lifestyle. It won't be the totality of their life. There might be a season, but the Holy Spirit of God will bring conviction and even consequences to get us back on the path walking close to him. And that's what he's doing here. So he's reminding them before he does some correction and says, hey, I want you to come back close. He said, I need to remind you, I don't change. In fact, it is we who change. One day we're close, one day we're not. One day we're hot, one day we're cold. One day we're reading our Bible, one day we're not. One day we're, man, I'm committing, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord, I'm going to study the Word, and the next day we're not. But he never changes. Aren't you glad? And you can rest on his faithfulness. Let me move on if I can. Are you ready? Number four, listen how fast y'all are listening, all right? Number four, in verse number seven, write these three words down. I tell you, they're going to be short. God desires return. So in the midst of his faithfulness, we would have to say that we are unfaithful. You agree with that statement? Compared to the faithfulness of God, I would have to say, Terry, if you had to characterize your life based on 
the faithfulness of God, how, how faithful God's been to you, how would you, what would you determine yourself? I'd have to say one word. You ready? I've not been faithful to God like he's been faithful to me. And the beauty in that is, in verse number seven, here's what he says. Read with me, if you will. He said, I'm the Lord your God. You do not ch- I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. And then he says in verse number seven, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away. You've gone away from my ordinances. I've given you some parameters to live close to me and experience the blessing of knowing and walking with me, but you've gone away. You've gone away, and I've gone away, and you've gone away. Can anybody, y'all just kind of, listen, take your mask off. They're sitting in the Sunday school hour. Not that you do that at Sunday school. You understand, we're just, we're just being honest about where we are. And we have to admit that there are times when we, we can identify. We don't identify, identify with God in here. We identify with the people, don't we? And he says, you've, from the days, listen, from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And have not kept those laws. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment what we're thinking about here. Um, we said God's the only constant, but then we learn about our unfaithfulness. He said, you, from your youth, you've not followed my ways. Now, let me ask you a question. Again, logic. If somebody, from the day you met them until now, someday would be your best friend, the next day would be your bitter enemy. Uh, someday we be talking good about you, the next day be backstabbing you and talking bad, bad about you. Someday they're helping you, but most of the days they're using you. And they did this over and over and over and over again. You know what happens? They get put on the list. Y'all know what list I'm talking about? Now, it's not written anywhere that anybody can see it. It's a list that is hidden away in our hearts. And the list looks like this. We don't call that person anymore. We don't, y'all out there, y'all don't look at me like that. I ain't the only one. You don't call them anymore. You don't, you don't want to go to lunch with them anymore. I wish y'all would at least smile so I know I'm not the only person in the room. And because they've done us wrong and backstabbed us and went away from us and didn't do, they did against our will, then we don't want to hang out with them. And here's what it looks like. We go to Walmart, and we see them down there on, coming out of the end of aisle number seven. And as fast as we can, we dip into aisle number two. <laughs> Knowing full well we didn't come to buy any socks. But all of a sudden, you're being a sock connoisseur. You know, looking at every brand of sock, stretchy socks and long socks and tall socks and and the purpose is, is that we, listen to me, we do not desire return. Matter of fact, our attitude toward that is, you've done this to me so many times, get out of my sight. Anybody tracking with me? I'm not fooling with you anymore. Get away from me. But here's God's desire. He says to these people who have been unfaithful to him, who have one minute been hot, next minute been cold, one minute been close, next minute be far. Listen to what he says to them. It ama- By the way, this makes me want to shout and cry and scream and dance because this is the God I serve. This is the God I invite people to know through the, his son Jesus. It's the gospel I get to preach. He's after the people who are betraying him. He, he's chasing after him. What is he saying? He's not saying, now, come here, come here. I'm fixing to judge you and smite you and smoke you. No, no. He says, come here, come here. I want you to. Return to me. I don't know anybody like Jesus. And I want to make this statement to you. You've heard me make it before recently, and that is this. There's nobody in your life you could do like you've done him, and them still come after you and say, return to me. And yet, he does. And I'm so glad. I woke up this morning with a smile on my face. I said, God, I'll never understand you. I'll never understand the depths of your goodness. 
In my life, I've let you down so much. Then I just thought about all of you, and look how many faces and souls are represented here. And those that are gathered with us out there online, think about all of the unfaithfulness represented by us. And God says to us, return to me. I still want you. I still want you. Listen to me. There's somebody in the room, and you've gone far from the heart of God. Listen, you're here in the church, but you're not here in relationship. And God is saying to you today, I want you. Now, nobody else may want you, or you may feel like you're unwanted and unvaluable, but I'm assigning, uh-oh, I'm assigning value to you, not just in word, but in deed. He's chasing after you, and he wants you to come close where you can feel his presence and be content and full of the goodness of God. All right, let me move on if I can. So God is the constant. Next, we said God desires, y'all help me return. I wish somebody today would come home to him. Come back to that sweet spot up close to him. Let me move on if I can. Number five. Look how, boy, I'm telling you, we're going to be early for lunch. Number five. I got a hog on the smoker, so we got to hurry. Number five, the common, some of y'all are like, where, where do you live at? The common response to God's pursuit. Okay, will you write that down? The common response to God's pursuit. Now, uh, before we write that down, the common response to God's pursuit. Now, let me remind you how he's pursuing them. Because if you're not careful, you'll miss, it. you'll miss it. You'll think, God's only saying, return to me. But that's not what he said first. Right? First, he started off by saying, verse, chapter 1, verse 6, you're not honoring me. Right? See, we, wish, we sort of wish that God was just a great big teddy bear, you know, soft and kind and squishy, and, and only said, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The little, chi- little angels on the Charmin. Things, we sort of wish God was that way, and we sort of put him that way sometimes. But listen, in his pursuit, he has to first tell us what the problem is because we're, we're not smart enough. We're biased. We believe ourselves. We trust ourselves. And God is saying there's a problem, and I'm going to tell you what it is, but then I want you to know that I'm not telling you what it is, listen close, to destroy you. I'm telling you what it is so that we can find a cure and you can come back close to me. Wow. What an amazing God. Isn't it interesting how Satan twists that and make us think, you know, all he does is want to get onto us, suck the fun out of our lives? L- listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 8, Malachi, uh, the common resp- verse 7, rather, the common response. So he says, from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances, and you've not kept them. And he says, but, but here's, I want you to return, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, now here's your response, but you said, oh, in what way shall we return? Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever been caught... And this is the common response. Put it in parentheses in your notes. Play dumb. All right, I'm going to see how many. I know a lot of my 830 folk played dumb before. I'm going to see about how many of my 10, 15. How many of you guys can say that at some point in your life, whether it be with your parent, whether it be with your spouse, whether it be with your best friend, whether it be with your boss, you've played dumb before. Raise your hand. Okay, it's my people. See, we play dumb, don't we? We play dumb. I remember a time as a kid, I was in the house. Dad said, don't throw the ball while we're outside. And they went outside. It was just me home. And it, sometimes it's like the ball says, hey, throw me. <laughs> and I, th- I threw it just one time, and nobody was going to know. And I broke, a, I broke a pitcher off the wall. And the pitcher, I went over to go clean it up because I was going to try to clean it up because, you, you know, you can just take glass and pitchers and make them go away, right, whatever. And as I'm getting that up, I cut my leg a little bit. Not bad, but I cut my leg. So dad comes in the door. There's blood on my leg. There's broken glass. There's a ball laying to the side. All evidence points to I have thrown the ball in the house. And my dad says, what happened? I said, I don't know. You've been there? Playing what? Playing dumb. 
Why is your marriage in the shape it's in? I don't know. Playing dumb. Why are your finances in the shape they're in? I don't know. You're not work hard. Playing dumb. Why is the favor of God and the power of God void in your life? I don't know. Playing dumb. And we play dumb, and because we play dumb, we miss the blessing of getting into obedience. Now, listen. In the midst of that scenario, we're just kind of thinking through this thing. When you're the one playing dumb, you feel really sharp, don't you? I remember thinking, boy, they, they don't have me, you know. They, they, they don't have that. They didn't see me do it. And so in that moment, we think if we just, if we just argue well enough, if we lie, uh -oh, lie good enough, y'all don't know what I'm talking about, huh? Got it on video, got your fingerprints on the cookie jar, got cookie crumbs on your shirt, and you ate a cookie. I didn't eat no cookie. I didn't, you didn't see me do it. And play dumb. And you f we feel so smart. Oh, we feel like we're justified. We feel right. Now, let me flip it on you. How do you feel when you're the person that people are playing dumb toward? You feel like this is ridiculous. Don't you? Come on. You know, you're looking at your child. You're thinking you're the only one here. You're one ball. You broken glass. You threw the ball. We know you threw the ball. Matter of fact, you probably have a house camera now. Nowadays, you get these house cameras. We got you on video. That wasn't me. And we play dumb. When you're the person playing dumb, you feel real smart. But when you're the person that's older with authority, which kind of has the evidence, listen to me, when the evidence is all out there, you feel like the person that's playing dumb is really dumb. They're not playing dumb. They're acting dumb. Because you say, here's the evidence. So God, presenting the evidence to the people, says in your heart, you're playing dumb. How shall we return? We, we, hey, we're still your people. We, we go to church. We... we and God says, while we're playing dumb, I've got a dumb question for you. You see it? Read ahead a little bit. You'll see it. He said, well, he didn't answer their question. He said, this is the dumb question you answer, or you ask, and I'm going to ask you one. Do you see the dumb question God answers? No, excuse me, asks. Anybody? Three people are nodding their head. Y'all got to come on now. I'm teaching you how to, how to exposit the scriptures. Next verse, what are we looking for? God coming up with a question that's ridiculous. What's the question? Will a man rob God? So he says, you've got this ridiculous question. Well, how have we drifted from you? In other words, we don't see a problem. He says, well, i got one for you. Would a man, would creation dare rob the creator? Would he dare to that? The answer is what? Should be. I like that. Nobody's answering. <laughs> don't tell on yourself. So would a man rob God? No, 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 no. He said, I've got a, you've got a dumb question, I've got a dumb question. Would a man rob God? A number of years ago, a friend of mine named Paul Sega said this. They were at a church preaching revival. They were staying at a hotel. While they were staying at the hotel, someone broke into their room, rummaged their things. When they came back, they could tell the room was a wreck. And there were just a few things, not a lot missing, but a few things. Some of them, her jewelry out of her jewelry box was missing. And so they called the manager of the hotel. The hotel manager says, we need to call the authorities. They need to come in. They'll make a report. The law officer shows up and asks Brother Paul, Brother Paul, I need to know why I'm here. I know what the desk told me, but I need to hear it from you. Brother Paul said, you're here because I've been robbed. Somebody broke into my room and stole and started talking about the earrings. And the, and the officer said, no, I need to correct you. You haven't been robbed. You've been a victim of theft. And Brother Paul said, no, 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 no. I've been robbed. They came in and they took my stuff. And he said, sir, let me clarify. A victim of theft, mean, theft means you weren't around and you weren't in control and they snuck it away from you. When you were robbed, they put a, something in your, in your face, a knife, a gun, and they look at you in the eyes and take what belongs to you. Now, isn't it interesting? that God would say to his people, 
would a man dare look at God, look at his goodness, look at the evidence of who he is, and rob from him? Now, see, they think they're close to him. But he's trying to show them by a certain symptom that the problem is they're not close to him as they think they are. So he goes on to say, would a man rob God, all right? And then he answers his question. Here's what he says. Yet. Now, why did he say yet? Because nobody would rob God. He says, but you have. You've robbed me. So the common response we said is playing dumb. Well, now we're going to look at number six at the symptom of the problem. Now, what is the symptom? Verse 8, the symptom of the problem. In what way have we, God says, now you have this question in your mind. How have we robbed God? We can't go up to where he is. He can't come right down to where we are. How am I going to rob from God? Well, first of all, here's a question I would ask you. Where can you go that God is not? Do you have a secret bank account that God can't see? Uh, do you have any resources that God doesn't know about? I like that. Some of you are like, well, here's the answer. No, not at all. So he says, you've asked, what, how have we robbed God? And so he answered for him, because God will oblige, won't he? He said, you've robbed me how? I got one voice in the whole room. Let's try that together. You ready? I want to make sure you see it. God said, you asked the question, in what way have we robbed you? God said, the answer is in tithes and offerings. So it's possible to rob God through Come on, y'all, don't die out on me. It's possible. Now, I'm just reading the Scripture. Based on the Word of God, it's possible to rob God. How? Tithes and offerings. Listen, we're learning together. We're learning together, okay? Is that all right? Together, me and you, we're learning. So, he says that there, here's a symptom. Here's a symptom. You've been robbing me. It's not the problem. It's a symptom. Symptom is, you've been robbing me. They say, oh, no, no, we don't have that symptom. What do you mean robbing you? Well, you haven't been giving any tithes or offerings. Now, does anybody in the room know what a tithe is? Anybody know what the word tithe means? Come on, all together, those who know it. A tenth. A very simple principle. A tithe is a tenth. One dollar on ten. Ten dollars on a hundred. Y'all with me? hundred on a thousand. See the principle? That's a tenth. Now, uh, as we talk about money, notice how weird it gets in here? It gets weird, man. Y'all won't talk to me? You look down at the carpet? I, I, you, you ought to see it from up here. It's the craziest thing. We get all jacked up and weird. And I'll tell you why we shouldn't in just a minute and why I no longer will let that be the case. I used to get weird about it too. I'm not getting weird about it anymore. I'll tell you why in a minute, okay? So he says in tithes and offerings. Now, my question for you. Now, listen, men who are at the Tuesday morning prayer breakfast, do not spoil this. I have a question for the group. Okay, here it is. How many of you believe by show of hands, now just go with me, and if you get it wrong, we're not going to, you're not going to hell if you get it wrong, okay? So just relax. All right, so is tithing a command? How many of you believe by show of hands, we had about 50-50 this morning, how many of you believe that tithing is a command of God? Raise your hand based on what we've heard. Okay, all right, all right, good percentage. I like that, boy. Y'all had them hands down there where I can't really see. I see what you're doing. All right, how many of you, by show of hands, said, no, it's not a command. Raise your hand if you think it's not a command of God. Raise your hand. <laughs> I love that. 25% of the people voted, <laughs> which means 75% like, I ain't getting in this deal. <laughs> so we would say that tithing, here it is. I'm going to settle it for you. You'll know 100% of you will know by hand. Tithing is not a command. 
I went to Hebrews and the guy was preaching on money. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm preaching on a problem and I'm showing you a symptom. And I'm just going right from what God said. So the problem is not tithing. I'll get to the problem in a minute. The problem, it's a symptom of the problem. What's the problem? Not honoring God. Not, not giving God the glory and value assigned to his name. And some of us are fooled into thinking that we came to church today, and so we're honoring God because we've walked in the building. <laughs> you know? I mean, think about that. But God says, here's what the symptoms look like in my book. One of them is giving. Now, we walk this thing out, and we say that tithing is not a command. I love it because some of you are like, shoo, thank God I'm all right. <laughs> tithing is an expectation. It predates the law of God. Oh. Matter of fact, you can trace tithing all the way back. Are you ready for this? Genesis chapter 14, verse number 20. When Abram or Abraham tithes to Melchizedek before the law of God has even been given to man. Predates the law. It's an, listen, it's an expression of value assigned. Maybe you'd write that somewhere. Giving is an expression. I'm just telling you what God's teaching us. Giving is a Value, it is value assigned. It's an expression of value assigned. What do you mean? Some people pay crazy amounts for tennis shoes. Some people pay crazy, and, and I love it because you get, you get with people, you say, man, you believe they paid that for their tennis shoes? Oh, that's ridiculous. I want, people get mad. I, it's not your money, but you'll get mad. I keep bleeding, spent that for that, but now you go look at their fishing poles. And I say, you paid what for that reel? Just the reel? Didn't have, didn't have a rod with it? No, it didn't have a rod with it. Lord, you could have bought five of them tennis shoes with that thing. Giving, spending, is an expression of assigned value. If it's valuable, you, you, you spend on it. Is everybody clear on that? So simple a child can understand. Okay? So, now, here's what happens. When, 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 when Abram ties Melchizedek, it's an expression of, of his ministry, right, of, of gratitude, of, of magnitude. And so, here's my question for you. What does your giving say about your assigned value unto God? Now, let's sit in that uncomfortable minute for just a second. Now, some of y'all, don't come up to me afterwards and say, Preacher, I'm so sorry. It's not between me and you. You with me? I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. That's between you and God. Anybody with me? Somebody would say, well, yeah, but last year we had the greatest year of giving we've ever had. Yeah, but that ain't got nothing to do. God doesn't need your money. That's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. You and I have not yet assigned God the value due his name. And it's proven in giving. It's proven in giving. Oh, man. All right. Y'all still, everybody okay? All right. Everybody's, we're all in this together, right? We're learning this thing together. So the common response is play dumb. The symptom of the problem is that we withhold. We don't give. It just shows that we're not close to God. Okay. Now, let me move on to number seven. Can you believe that? We got to hurry, y'all, because that hog is cooking. Number seven, right? Verse nine, write this in your notes. Robbing God comes at a price. Will you write that down? Some of y'all are like, I'm not writing that. I don't ever want to see it again. When I leave out here, I'm deleting this message from my heart and mind. And you have the right to do that, and you will suffer the consequences. Just know that I love you enough to tell you that. I told you a minute ago that I was going to get to a point where I told you why I'm no longer going to approach this as feeling weird and awkward about preaching about these things. Because there are people that will come and they'll, they don't really walk with God. They don't really know God. And they'll come to church and they'll say, all the church ever talks about is money. This isn't a money message. This is a heart message about the nearness to God that is exposed by a lack of giving. You see? 
So the reason that I don't feel weird about it anymore, the reason I'm not going to just sort of skirt around it is because he says that to withhold his resources is to do what? What's the word he used? Three-letter word? Rob him. I will not be an accomplice to your robbing God. Instead, I want to help you. Anybody with me? And I don't want you to be an accomplice to me, Robin God. I want you to encourage me not to tithe because that could be just a frivolous routine action, but to stay near to God, which produces a generous heart and spirit. Isn't that good? No? Well, I think it is. Me and Drew think it is. I see Drew nodding and say, I got one head nodding. I think that's good stuff. Why? Because that, that kind of information can transform my life. And I don't want to just be the same old guy. He's done too much for me to me just to sort of coast through this thing. So listen, robbing God comes at a price. Look in verse 9. What does he say happens here? Y'all reading with me? Verse number 9. You are, uh-oh, he says, you've robbed me, so here's my response to your thievery. You are with a curse. You've cursed with a curse. Robbing God has, it comes at a price. Now, who is the one cursing the people of God. <laughs> I love that if I was like, oh, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, it's God. Now, it's a reaction to their robbing him, right? But Satan's not the one doing the cursing. Who is? Somebody today just had your idea and understanding of God expanded a little bit. He's not your genie in a bottle. Come on, somebody. He's not big, great, big teddy bear. God says, just do whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do it, and I'll just love you and kiss you and hold you and squeeze you. He says, if you're outside of my will and desire, there will be consequences because he's God. So, so that's mean. No, it's not mean. He's trying to get us back on the path where we're content and full of peace and we have what we need and more. Now, let me give you a verse. What does this curse look like? Haggai chapter, I'm glad you asked, by the way. You were thinking, and I'm glad you asked that because I heard you thinking. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, write it in your notes. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. What does this curse look like when I'm not a giver, when I'm not close to God and I'm not generous? Here's what it looks like. Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. You have sown much and you bring in. That's a violation of the law of harvest. I plant one kernel of corn. I get two kernels of corn, right? No, I get a bunch of kernels of corn. The law of harvest is you always reap more than what you sowed. Thank God, because I wouldn't want to plant one tomato seed and get one tomato out of it. Except God will curse the law of harvest in your life and my life when we withhold the seed. Wow. He says we plant, it doesn't matter. Let me read a little further. He says you have so much and you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink. It's not that you don't have the, listen, it's not that you don't have the stuff. You got food, you got seed. What's the next one? You got water, you got drink. You except you're drinking, you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves. It's not that you're naked, but nobody's. Notice what he's saying. Nothing you have is enough. When you and I are not close to God, we're greedy. When we're greedy, we keep it for ourselves. When we keep it for ourselves, it's never enough. It's never enough. And God does not want you and me to live in want. Want is painful. Wanting more. Getting something, working, saving, getting. And then when you get it, you say, I've got nothing. i got to have something. There's something new been released. There's a new phone. There's a bigger boat. There's a nicer rifle. And i got to have more, and it's a more, and it's a more. And God doesn't want me and you wasting away there. 
He wants us to come to him. Listen, he says, you clothe yourselves, but, you, but nobody is warm. He says, he who earns wages, earns wages to put them in a bag that has, a number of years ago, I had a pair of pants that had a hole in the, I call it the right side, driver's side pocket, right-handed. Anyway, corner of that pocket on the inside had a hole in it. But most of the time, it stayed flat, so I could put maybe some dollars in there, whatever, and it was fine. But every once in a while, if I moved around just right or what have you, got up and down, I would put money in there and forget because, you know, it wasn't always prevalent. I'd forget the hole was there, and then that money that you'd earned hard, I'd go to get it out of my pocket, and the money was gone. That's a bad feeling, isn't it? And what he says is you can work as hard as you want as many hours. You ever been there? Work as hard as you want, make more money you've ever made in your life. And there's still a wanting, still a desire to have something else, something more. You've got to plan a new event. Got to kill a bigger deer. Got to buy a new, five new dresses. There's always something more out there to be had. And God's saying, I don't want you to have that. I want you to be at peace with me. And the only way that can happen is if you stay up close to me and hold on to your stuff loosely. Let me move on if I can. So uh, giving, we said this, robbing God comes at a price, a cursing. You'll put money with, in a bag that has holes in it. Had a man tell me not too long ago, he said, you know, I was always a faithful giver. I stayed near to God. He said, but then, you know, I quit for whatever reason. He said, but I had this stock in, in WorldCom. And he said, well, you mentioned that. A lot of people get, they get a little, start thinking about that. And he said, I had enough to retire comfortably early and to do a lot of the things I wanted to do, like travel the world and see these beaches and, oh, I was going to have a great time. And he said, I thought it's in this, it's in this stock that is skyrocketing. It can never go wrong except it did. And he said, I found that really I was putting all my plans and all my hope and trust in a system that's propped up by man. And boy, man, I'll jack something up in just a second. And God says, instead, draw near to me and give toward the thing that is eternal. Let me move on if I can. I'm trying. Lastly, number eight. Y'all still with everybody okay? So we said, uh, that we said then that the robbing God comes at a price. But now let's flip it and get to the positive. I like this part right here. Number eight, giving reaps great reward. How many of you have experienced that? Giving reaps great reward. Two things about it. Little number one, little number two. Little number one, quickly, verse 10. What are those great reward? Number one, bountiful return. Bountiful return. I'm in verse number 10, Malachi chapter 3. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that my food, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. I had someone challenge me on this not too long ago, and they said, well, that, that doesn't really apply towards the church today. I said, well, how do you figure that? He said, because the, that is the Old Testament uh, temple and where they fed people. I said, well, do you know the church still feeds people today? He just sort of looked at me. I said, you know, we have a food pantry called the storehouse, uh-oh, the storehouse food pantry at Hickory's. You know that? And by the way, if you ever find yourself in need of food, don't ever let your pride keep you from calling the office and let us set up and get you taken care of. That's what it's there for. Sometimes we fall in hard times and difficult situations, and that's what it's there for. But, yeah, I said, so, so, there's a, so then if we just tithe enough to take care of the food pantry, that's it. No, no, no. The New Testament church is not like the Old Covenant temple. The New Testament church does counseling. The New Testament church does food and clothes. The New Testament church goes shares mission all over the world. The New Testament church, by the way, I've told you this before, the mission costs money. And I think God did that on purpose because he could have gave us a blank check, sent us wherever, do whatever without costing us something. But God knew me and you would love money and assign more value to money than we would to him. And so he helps us, puts us in situations where we have to choose. All right, so bountiful return. He says, listen as we read on. He says, if you bring all the tithes in the storehouse, and here's what I'll do. 
And she, uh, by the way, says, and try me now in this. Only place in the Word of God where God says to his creation, try me. Just test me. Put me to the test. Now, uh, Scott and Kelly Frey, yeah, Kelly, see me shaking, she's shaking her head. Scott, is Scott here? Is he? He's back in the back. I see his head popping up back there in the sound booth. So you don't mind if I share this. I always, I always ask, you know, forgiveness and permission. So a uh, number of years ago, I, I issued a challenge to the church, and I said, hey, 30 days, test God. Just begin to tithe. Now, not for the purpose of building your bank account, but for the purpose of drawing near to God and assigning value to him and his work. And I said, for 30 days, just begin to tithe. And so they did. And, and uh, if we had time, Scott and Kelly would come up here and tell you that when they did, God began to just open doors and do things in their careers and in their, in their finances. He said, I, I don't make much. He said, I have more money. We didn't have a savings account. He said, I have more money saved now and stored now than I ever had before. And I'm giving more than I've ever given in my life. How about God? See, you can test him. You see, could he, why would he fail now? Oh, he won't. Because he, he can't. And he says, you can test me. So bountiful return. And then, and then second, and this is where we're going to close, protection from the devourer. So there's two great rewards from drawing near to God and him causing me to have a generous heart. Number one, I'm going to reap a bountiful return. Number two, he's going to rebuke the devourer for my sake. Now, what does that mean? The devourer, the destroyer. Read with me, if you will. I'm going to go back to verse number uh, uh, 10. I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And then in verse number 11, he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. And what this means is then if God doesn't rebuke the devourer, then he is devouring. Because you can't rebuke him. I don't care if you spit on him, tell him to go back to hell, cast him out and all that old nonsense. If I had somebody tell me one time, I, I cast the devil out of my finances, I said, are you tithing? They said, no. I said, you didn't do nothing. You didn't do anything. You don't have the power to do that. But God says, if you'll draw near to me and have a generous heart, I will then rebuke the devourer. I'll stop things from breaking. I'll keep, you, listen to what he's saying. He said the devourer is having a heyday in some of our lives because we think we can keep it and we have to have it. But he says, if you'll, if you'll trust me and put it in my hands, then what I'll do is... I'll rebuke the devourer. You'll have a, listen, you'll have a washing machine and dryer that'll be 18 years old. Six loads of clothes a day. Not even had to change a belt on the thing before it's time. Can I want you to understand something. Could it be that the devourer is having a heyday in your life because there's a bigger problem? It's not that you're not giving. It's that you've not assigned the proper value and weight to God. You got to draw near. Now, if I was to leave you today by saying, all you got to do then is start giving, that's not it. Remember, this wasn't a message on giving, it was a message on the symptom that giving points to the problem of not assigning the proper weight, not honoring God and glorifying God. So, then what is the solution? Draw near. And be imitators of God. Let me give you a couple of verses in closing Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Listen to this verse. By the way, I have to tell you all this as this verse is coming up on the overhead, Ephesians 5.1. We're going to close here. Listen, as, this, as I attempted to do this in the first worship time, the microphone went out. And I'm reaching and striving, and I said, we're just going to keep rocking on, but they couldn't hear me in the back. And so they finally brought me a handheld. I got back with a handheld. Y'all know I hate because my hand, I felt like I got to have my hands, man. And I had to hold my hand right here in front, and then it went out. And what was the point? The enemy does not want you to have this information that will transform your life. 
Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, you see it with me? Be imitators, okay, of as dear children, meaning a child that is dearly in love with the parent. When a child looks at the evidence of who the parent is and loves them because of the love shown in provision, the child wants to imitate the parent. You see that? When I see the evidence, see, God's not trying to prove to me he loves me by how my situation works out. And he's not trying to prove to you by what you're praying for and the hard thing you're going through. He's not trying to prove his love to you, how it works out. No, he's already proven that. And that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross said it all. So then be imitators of God as dear children. How could I imitate God in the area of giving? I'm glad you asked. Here's we'll close, John 3, 16. For God. Two words. Everybody together. For God. So love. So love. He didn't just kind of love. He so loved. And he so loved the world that he did something. He did one particular action. He gave. He gave. He loved so much that he giving is an expression of assigned value. God assigned so much value on you and me that he gave not gold and silver that tarnishes and goes up and down with the stock market, but he loved me and you so much that he gave, you ready, his only begotten son. And the purpose of his giving was that we would see that expression of love and that we would trust in him, that we would trust in his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we would receive him as Lord, and because of that, we wouldn't have to perish but we could walk with God and know God and be in fellowship with God. So today, what is the problem? The problem is that oftentimes we don't assign the proper value that we should to God. Can we agree on that together? What is the solution? Draw near to Him. And as we draw near to Him, His promise was that He would draw near to us. And as He draws near to us, He transforms us, and all of a sudden we become like Him and we become givers. And so today, I want you to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? Somebody said, praise God, can we move on from this message? We still have a little bit of time to wrestle with it before we close. So, can we today, now I want you to turn the lights up for me just a little bit. I want you guys to just sort of look up at me for a second. Can we, can we have just a moment together where we, where we individually in our own seat have a little moment of diagnosis? You know what I mean? Like we were at the doctor's office. Can we do that? I'm going to wait. Y'all just staring at me. Can we do that for just a minute? All right, here's what I mean. The doctor's going to ask you the symptoms, and based on the symptoms, it's going to prove the problem. Okay? Because some of us came in, and we think, if somebody asks us, hey, is there, is there the problem in your life that you're not close to God? Oh, no, no, I honor God. I love God. I talk about God. I pray before I eat. I'm here every Sunday. I, I teach. I pray. Whatever. Right? But let's just look at the one symptom that he mentioned. Okay? Can we do that? So just for a minute, where you're sitting, just look at the symptom in chapter 3, the symptom of giving. And based on your giving record, what value have you assigned to God? Is he worth more than your fishing? Is he worth more than your hobbies? 
Is he, is he worth more? You, you know what I mean. Is he worth more than your child's birthday party? What value have you assigned to God? Now, listen, we're just letting the one symptom. There are others, but in the one symptom of giving or lack of giving, what value have you assigned to God? Now, let's just think on that and pray together. Will you bow your head with me just where you are? Just think on that for a minute. Ask the Spirit to speak to you. You know, you really don't need the Holy Spirit's help to know your bank record. Anybody with me? You really don't have to have like a supernatural experience to look and just look, okay, what have I given? How faithfully do I give? How consistently? We wouldn't say that a tithe is generous, but it's a great place to start. What I hope is that every heart in this room would grow, draw near to God and therefore giving would be a worship experience. To say, Lord, I'm about to put some money in this little black box, and as I do, I'm celebrating your goodness. I'm trusting that you are so valuable to me that you're going to support the cause of the kingdom, and it's going to outlive me. Somebody today needs to have, you know what I prayed that God would grant us repentance. And in that repentance, a changing of the mind, that we would say something like this to God. God, I confess that I've been robbing you. Hey, listen, he's not changed his mind about you. He's not up there in heaven looking down. He already knows. But confession leads to cleansing. You don't have to come confess it to me or to anybody else, just you and him. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus? Where you're seated right there, you can talk to God and say, God, I've robbed you. I have robbed you. And I hadn't thought about it in a while. And some of us need to say, God, I, I recognize today by this symptom, the truth of the matter is I'm not as close to you as I thought I was. And I need to draw near. Would anybody like me? I've got my hand raised. I need to, based on this symptom, I need to draw near. Anybody else would just lift your hand up toward heaven? God, I, I confess to you that I'm, I've been taking what is yours. I've been wasting some of my time, talent, and resource. And, Lord, today I'm just asking you to forgive and to cleanse. And, Lord, calls me. Here's, not the, here's the thing. Not, not I just want to give a bunch of money. God calls me to be somebody who's so in love with you that my money doesn't take priority. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, good news, it's not too late. He doesn't change. He paid the price. He made a way. If you'll come to Jesus today by faith, if you'll confess him with your mouth as Lord, if you receive him into your life, he'll forgive your sin. He'll cleanse you and give you purpose for living. I want you just to consider how you need to respond to what you've heard. God's people can return to him. So, Father, we pray you take this time of response and you draw us close to you. In Jesus' name.